Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Happy Australia Day. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Yeah, I'm passionate not taking you guys to the Olympics. Um, you know, uh, one of Christ's highest kind of things that he taught us was empathy. And, um, and Australia Day is a time where I, I love it. I'm a proud Aussie. I, I love everything. I'm a bit of a forex drinking bogan in some times. But, um, but in other times, I, uh, you know, in terms of empathy, I, I recognise that this amazing day that I love is an incredibly difficult day for some people. And, uh, and, and so I just really want to acknowledge that. Uh, I want to acknowledge anyone who feels like this is the day that the nation was taken from them. And I want to acknowledge the day that for those of you who Australia isn't your home and Australia Day makes you feel particularly homesick, um, maybe you had to leave your nation for whatever reason, I just want to acknowledge what you might be going through today. Uh, and I hope that you find Australia incredibly welcoming. And I hope that you find the Church of Jesus Christ inclusive on every front at every level in Jesus' name. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this nation. Lord, we're so grateful for it in so many ways. And Lord, we commit it to you. Lord, we commit this nation to you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that uh, it was founded on values, Lord, um, at least spoken, that were based on Christian values, Lord. And so, Lord, we, we ask for a return to those values Lord, we pray for those prophecies that have been prophesied about this nation, that they would come to pass the great south land of the Holy Spirit from which a revival sweeps across the world. We ask, Lord, and we pray in faith for that, Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask, um, Lord, for the continued freedom to worship and we thank you for it. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe who today are not finding themselves in freedom to worship. We pray for strength for them, for strength to keep going, Lord. And Lord, for safety, for sustenance in their Christian walk, Lord God. Lord, that you would enable them in Jesus' name. And Lord, we do thank you for the rain. And Lord, we thank you for those Victorian farmers who donated all that hay, Lord. Lord, we really pray that you would abundantly bless them, God. Lord, that even as they've um, given, Lord, that they would receive back into themselves, that they would know that it is truly more blessed to give than receive. And Lord, we pray abundance upon them. We thank you, Lord, that they haven't just decided to take advantage of every drought-stricken farmer, but they've decided to sow in generosity. We pray even for that hay, that it would go further than what it naturally should, Lord, and feed more stock than what it naturally should. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, today I'm doing something a little bit different in that I'm doing a mashup of two sermons uh, from the last two Sunday night messages, which I know that some of you are here for, for. And it's something that we really try not to do because we know that some people do double up and come to both services. Uh, and so um, I just encourage you that the stats say that people forget 90% of the sermon by, or 90% of the people forget the sermon by the next week. So it's okay. It's just going to be like fresh news to you. And um, I feel like it's a, it's a 2020 beginning of the year word. And so that's why I'm bringing it again, just to put it together. Um, and, and next week we have Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday is all about where we're headed as a church. We seek God, we pray, we, we fast, we, we really um, ask God to, to let us know where we're headed. And, and so we want to get on board with his heart, not ask him to get on board with ours. And so we, we do that. But, but this sermon today is about actually the vision for, for us, 
not for us collectively, but for us individually and us personally. What would God have for your year? We're going to talk next week about what God has for our year. But what we're going to talk about today is what God has for your year. We're going to ask God about that. I love the last two messages that Daz has preached, Pastor Daz. Oh, by the way, I had like pain in my hand and so I'm not wearing my wedding ring today. And Daz lost his like three years ago, but we're good. We're good. Do we need to have a Pastor Mike moment and kiss in front of the congregation? We're good? Okay. Okay. Um, okay, we are good, I promise you. Um, so um, Daz has preached the last couple of weeks about that thing. And I've heard so much great feedback. I've listened to the podcast and love them as well. What I love is that at the start of a new decade and the start of a new year, Daz completely orientated us around not ourselves, kind of just made us look outward and say, where is it that you see in the world where there's hardship or trouble or it gets you angry or annoyed? How about you go find a solution for that or get on board with someone who is finding a solution for that rather than um, just look at ourselves? I love that. Thank you, Daz. That was amazing. But today, I am actually, we are going to look at ourselves. We're going to ask God what he would have for us. And the title of the sermon is Prophesy the Promise. Prophesy the Promise. Do you know what you think of when you think of prophecy? Maybe uh, if you're not really in church or in a Pentecostal church that often, you kind of think of apocalyptic movies where there's prophecy happening. Or maybe like the Vikings where they go and see the seer and the seer gives them and it's all creepy and weird and gross and he gives them a a, a picture of whether or not they can have a boy child or if they have to leave it on the hill because it's another girl. Um, Maybe you think of like Nostradamus kind of predicting future events. Maybe you think of like fantasy kind of things, like the Lord of the Rings and the prophecy, one ring to find them, one to bind them, one ring to rule them all. And, uh, okay, no one thinks that. And um, maybe you've heard the word or the term self-fulfilling prophecy, where someone who is really like, that maybe they're down on themselves, maybe they feel like no one likes them and so they enter a room feeling like no one likes them so they don't want to talk to anyone, so they kind of really put up walls and so then no one talks to them which makes them think that no one likes them so it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy maybe heard it used like that maybe you've heard it from the old testament like the minor and the major prophets maybe you've heard it yeah it's in the bible but it's very much a back there back then kind of thing isn't it no it's not prophecy is a now and an already not yet kind of thing it's a living in the last days kind of thing which is what we are which started when jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven back to heaven and to come back again one day. Now, I just want to clarify something about fasting. God is as close as he's ever going to get. He's coming back for us one day. But, but we, we, we can't fast in order for God to get closer to us. He is always right there as close as our next breath. We don't need to fast, so God, will you come closer to me? No, fasting is so that we get closer to God. Because he is always right there, waiting on our next word, waiting on our next breath, as close as we could ever imagine. And, and when we say, we want more of you, God, he's, he's like, I gave you everything. <laughs> but we, we, we've got all that we can of him, but so much of what we have in our lives puts up obstruction and distraction from him. So fasting is just saying, I'm going to remove some of that, God, in order to see how close you already are. So don't think it's like a, I'm going to do good so I get good, God. No, that's not how this works. He gives us all the good that we don't deserve. And so that's what fasting is. Anything to do with prophecy? Not particularly. But the New Testament has a lot to say about prophecy. It's got two words, prophetia, prophetia, you, 
in the New Testament that talk a lot. It talks about instructions of how to have prophecy properly organized in church. It talks about the necessity of not despising prophecy. It talks about Stephen's daughters prophesying. It talks about desiring prophecy. When there's baptism of the Holy Spirit, prophecy often accompanied that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the first message that was ever preached to the early church was Peter talking about the prophet Joel who was prophesying about a prophecy that people would prophesy in the last days. So it's pretty important. It's out there, prophecy. And he was actually saying that prophecy is not a respecter of persons, that your sons and your daughters would prophesy. So what is prophecy? Well, it's got two aspects to this word. There's foretelling, which is predicting future events. Like if you're from a non-church background, you might kind of say Nostradamus or someone like that. But if you're from a church background, you're like, oh, like, like how Jesus was prophesied about so many hundred times. And if you want a great apologetic on that, go back to the December podcast and listen to David Moore's message about how actually as a logician, you should believe in Christ because the prophecies are so fulfilled. So that's the kind of the foretelling part. But much more, it's used in the New Testament as forthtelling which is described as God's perspective on a matter, where, where, where someone actually gains understanding or discernment into a matter that is from God's perspective rather from their own. Where someone might say something um, about someone and you're like, really? Like, I look at them, I look at what you just said, I'm not sure that that's the case, but actually it's calling out a future potential in them, it's calling out who they truly are and the ability that they have to live up to that. It's talking about how God sees it, not how we as humans see it. It has to be tested. That's what else is about prophecy. There's plenty of people that have actually been hurt through prophecy because we, the church, haven't taught them how to properly test it. Prophecy, when given, needs to be tested. It needs to have witnesses that confirm it. It needs to um, also uh, often have been a resonant already in your heart And if it doesn't, then it gets put on a parking lot and you wait until there's other confirmations around. It needs to line up with the Word of God. And so the church needs to teach how to test prophecy so that people don't get hurt from it. And also we need to teach people how to give it in a non-weird way. That's always helpful. Okay. Prophecy, it says in 1 Corinthians, is for edification, strengthening and encouragement. It says, I want everyone everywhere to prophesy. Who who prophesies, prophesies for the edification, strengthening and comfort of those in the church. Okay, that's all good news. I want to talk about you being able to prophesy your year. You being able to prophesy the promise over your year. And you might immediately go, oh, no, I'm not like that. No, I can't do that. But actually, anyone who has received Christ has received the Spirit of God and is able to discern what their year is able to be and to call that into being. I'll I'll tell you how. It's not a blab it and grab it. It's not a, I'm going to be wealthy this year. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to say five times a day and then I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to get married this year. I'm going to say that five times a day and then I'm going to be married. It's not like that. It's not a blab it and grab it and neither is it superstitious. We don't need to, if someone says something that's slightly negative, jump on them and say, oh, don't speak that over yourself. We don't need to. Words are powerful, but God doesn't bind himself to our words. He binds himself to our faith in many ways, but he does not bind himself. We don't need to be superstitious about this. We can prophesy the promise in faith and in life and in hope and in health. And go for it this year. So, okay, first step. Our text today is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. 
you might think that sounds very familiar. And yes, Darren did preach a series on it late last year. And yes, Trish did bring a brilliant point in her sermon from it late last year. Also, we're going there again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in order to prophesy our promise because we can get all enamored with the shiny and the new without dealing with stuff that needs to be dealt with in order to walk in fullness and wholeness into our future and it says here that there's weight there's hindrances and there's sin now that word in the middle and is the word chi. It's used over 9,000 times in the New Testament. And it's a conjunction word. It's, it's used to connect things together, to connect concepts together. It's often and, sometimes it's also, sometimes it's the very thing, sometimes it's that is. So 26 of 29 interpretations, translations of the Bible say the weight and the sin. Three say that is the sin. So it kind of puts them together and says it's just talking about sin in this moment. But I'm going to go with the 26 this morning and say that there's weight and there's sin. So there's things that aren't sin, but then there's things that are sin. I'll give you an example of a weight. Um, I love to zone out, particularly on a Sunday night after a big day, to watch TV. Oh, blessed TV. um, And um, I love watching TV. And even before there was streaming, I, I, I would stay up way too late, even sit through the ads and watch a movie on a Sunday night. And, and then, as you can imagine, when you stay up late, then you get up feeling tired and then you start your week tired. And, uh, and so it's not actually good for me. That was even before Stan and Netflix and Disney Plus and, and Hulu and Roku and Shishi Nachakuju and um, all the things that there are in streaming services. And now you can just roll into the next episode. And so now I stay up even later. Now, is that sin? Some of you are like, yes, it is. But um, no, I don't believe it is, depending on what I'm watching, of course. But, but staying up late like that, that's a weight. The other thing that happens in front of the TV is I eat way more than I would sitting at a table. The other thing that happens in front of the TV is I drink way more Pepsi Max than I would at the table. And, and so it's not great for me because caffeine's bad. Um, but, but sitting in front of the TV, watching it, that's a weight rather than a sin. So I wonder if there's something in your life that is like that. And, and what I'm going to call it this morning is perpetual behaviours and ask us to process our perpetual behaviours. Processing our perpetual behaviours. Our perpetual behaviours are the things that are continuing indefinitely, that without attention or intention, they're just going to keep going. And I want to ask you the question, I want to ask you some questions about perpetual behaviours, whether they're sin or whether they're weights around you. And, um, and I want to ask you to do a bit of a self-analysis. Let's talk in terms of habits. Are the habits that maybe are a weight, are they the friends of your future? Are they a friend of your future? Your attitude, is it a friend of your future? Is it going to have you living life positively, I nearly said possibly, (laughs) positively and whole and free, or is it going to have you living negative and weighed down and judgy? How's your attitude, The, the things that would weigh us down? What about this? What about allowances? 
What about things that you just kind of allow? What about this question that you maybe sometimes ask is, well, where's the line there? And you're not asking where the line is so that you can be right back here from it. You're asking where the line is so you can get as close as you possibly can to it without tipping over. Where are those things for you? What about the things we allow to come out of our mouth? We're about to talk about prophesying the promise. So there's something that we want to speak out into the atmosphere and over our year. But James 3, 9 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So what's coming out of our mouth that is a weight that isn't a friend to our future? Because as we mentioned in the PM service, and you'll be glad that you didn't come when you heard this, we talked about like lying and gossip and slander being in the same verse as orgies. Like we tend to separate all these things out, but, but it's right there all together. Grumbling is really talked about. Do everything without grumbling. What? How much? Everything without grumbling. Like what's coming out of our mouth that's maybe a hindrance or a sin? What is it? What is it that we're allowing our eyes to see? And, and, and people's minds would go to something very obvious there. But there's less obvious and even the same insidious kind of viewing that we can do that cause people to fantasize about relationships that they can't have and shouldn't have, that cause them to fall into gossip. What is it that we're allowing our eyes to see? What is it that we're allowing to come out of our mouth? And so these are the questions that I want to ask you about those weights and about those sins because we can't focus on what they are, the behaviours. Every, well, the Bible, and then also modern psychology would tell you that the more you focus on it, the more chance you have of fixating on it, and it gets bigger and harder to avoid in your life. That's focusing on the fruit when we need to go to the root. And actually ask the question, well, what need is it meeting in my life? When am I tempted to do this thing? When, why, what am I feeling when I want to go do that? Let's think about that so that maybe we can bring some adjustment to it. Don't focus on that, but focus on what's causing you to go to that. This, these two verses in Hebrews are one sentence in the Greek. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So that's all together. That's not two sentences. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the, who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So it's saying, don't focus on the weight that you've got to drop off. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Just keep looking straight ahead and let the weight fall off you. Don't worry about dealing with all that. Just keep focusing your eyes on Jesus and move forward. This, focusing on this, causes us to want to pay a price, to work this off, to, to get right with God. When he's saying, I've already made you right, focus on Jesus and just keep going. Just keep going. So I'll give you three kind of things to be able to help you deal with the weight and with the sin. The first is pray for deliverance. Pray for a miraculous deliverance. I know someone who prayed, who, who became a Christian and they were as filthy mouthed as you can imagine. And the day they became a Christian, the day they gave their life to Christ, they never swore again. Anyone praying for that kind of deliverance? For me, it took a lot longer than that. It took me a lot longer to stop swearing than immediately. 
So, but pray for deliverance. Pray and ask God for deliverance and believe for it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So just pray and ask Him and believe for deliverance from whatever it is that you find that you struggle with, whatever it might be. In the meantime, while you're waiting for that deliverance, struggle. Put up a fight. Don't just go, oh, everyone deals with this. Oh, I know heaps of Christians that have this wrestle. So I'll just, that's fine, right? No, no, no. Put up a fight every time. Every single time, put up a fight. You may succumb to whatever it is. I may sit in front of the TV and watch it too long, whatever it is, but put up a fight. Don't just let it overtake you. It says in verse 3 and 4 of that passage, it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Think about what he did. Verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. When you're bleeding out and you're coming to church, we may give you a free pass. We won't. But in the meantime, struggle. Don't just give into it every time. We give ourselves free passes all the time. And, and you know what? We should never, at the, at the end of whatever it is, we should never live in condemnation and guilt and shame. No, Jesus dealt with that. He's the one who has taken away the sins of the whole world for whoever would accept him. So we can't live in it. We can't live in it. But we've got to put up a fight beforehand. Make sure we put up a fight. And then finally, after praying for deliverance, after putting up a fight, and if it's something that you struggle with again and again and it's causing you just to back right off, it's causing you to put distance between you and God, then actually um, actually remember Paul's words that came to him. My grace is sufficient for you. He said to God, your power is made perfect in my weakness. And there are times where we just have to claim that for ourselves. I'm coming to realize that this was a very bad idea to try and do two messages in one. All right, I'm going to skip the whole next section. Ah, dang it, it was a really good section. Okay, prophesy the promise. We're going straight to prophesy the promise. I'll just tell you what the other one was, to adjust our perspective. You know, the Israelites in the desert, Dan preached a great message on this. You can go back and listen to his um, podcast about, they said, God hates us. That's why he's brought us here. So sometimes we have to re-examine our, pers- our perspective. Good, got it. Tick. Okay, prophesy the promise. Um, I'm going to use the example of marriage because uh, it's, a, it's one that I've never really heard anyone prophesy over themselves. So, um, you know, ask God for something, right, and see what he says. But I'm going to use for these questions the example of marriage. So firstly, if we want to prophesy the promise, we need to ask God. We need to ask God, God, what have you got for me this year? What have you got for me this decade? What have you got? But let's start small. Let's go, what have you got for me this year, God? And don't look for something necessarily super specific. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and you are able to hear him. You actually are able to hear him. And he might say something, and and this is generally when you can know that it is God and not you, that you wouldn't come up with yourself. So for example, he might say peace and you're like, wow, I wasn't even thinking that I needed peace, but Heck, yes, I need peace. That's exactly what I need. And then you just keep claiming that. But first of all, okay, ask God. And, and then it gets tricky because if you've asked God, then stuff will come along like when you buy a car. Anyone know this feeling? You buy a car, you've never seen it before, and then you see it everywhere in town, the same car. So if you've asked God for something for your year, then you may be on the lookout and you might be finding things everywhere. Whoa, black box. Hmm. God, have you got an empty black box for me this year and you just want me to open it? Terrible example. Like you're in the supermarket and you see a packet of juicy fruit and you're like, fruit, juicy fruit, that's the word over my year. Terrible example. Okay, 
Pastor Mike last year, he had the higher ground, words of higher ground. And then he asked God for a scripture to back that up. And that's what he claimed over his year. Daz and I do it every year for our church. Last year, I was um, praying and seeking God about a change. And all that I felt that God said to me was to devote myself to the word of God and to prayer. And I was like, I can't do that, God. I can't, I can't just do that. That's like not enough. And, and then the next day, Robbie Ross, who some of you know in town, who we rarely talk, she rang and said that she'd had a dream. She's never had a dream about me before, but she, in the dream, had to tell me that I had to mine the word of God for treasures, like Cyrus finding treasures in the darkness, that God would bring treasures up out of the word of God to me. I was like, okay, God, thank you. So number two, after you've asked God, is wait for confirmation. Wait for confir- confirmation. Daz's Uncle Ray, who has cancer, um, spoke last week and gave a testimony about the fact that King Hezekiah, he, he asked God that he could be like King Hezekiah and, and just have some extra years because they told him he had a very short time frame. And then three people in the next week told him, you're going to be like King Hezekiah. He's going to give you extra years. And so you can expect confirmation um, if it's of God. You can expect it. And you can also expect that it will get stronger and resound more in you or it will actually kind of drop off and, and, and you won't be able to, you'll go, oh, what was that word last week? I eh, can't remember. Okay, maybe not, maybe you don't need to remember that. So it'll get stronger or it'll get weaker. Ask God, wait for witnesses, see if it gets stronger or weaker. Examine your motive. For example, if it's marriage and you think it's marriage because you want to do what married people do, fight. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> um, you want to do what married people do, which is well, the other stuff. Um, then that's probably not a good motive. Like it's understandable, but it's not a great motive. And so you have to examine your motive and ask this question. Is this actually big enough, what I'm, what I'm believing God for? Like, is it just affecting me or is it affecting the world as well? Is it affecting other people? Is this affecting my children in a positive way? Or am I just believing for something for me? Is it actually big enough? And then whatever you've got, ask for a touch of supernatural to it. Because if you can just get it done with some good budgeting and good planning and some time aside, then that's not big enough. You've got to add some supernatural to it. What you've just come up with is a New Year's resolution. And if you want to prophesy your year, you need to add the only God factor to it. Add the only God factor. Then what do you do? Then you prepare as though it's happening. You believe that it's going to happen. You believe that, that this is coming to pass. And so if you're believing that marriage is what you're prophesying, then you stop, you get off Tinder and you, you stop, you know, dating people and, and whatever. And you start practicing self-control because who knows when you get married, it doesn't just all fall into place and you never need self-control again. You start practicing for your partner. You start working on yourself to give your future husband or wife a whole person that can give and not just fill a need in the other direction. So prepare as though it's happening and then live in light of it. Start confessing it. Start speaking that thing out. Start saying, this is what I believe is over my year. I'm believing for this. Tell some people, ask them to pray into it as well. Prophesy the promise. Let's come to our feet this morning. We did it. We only had to leave out a third of the message. (laughs) I want to go back to that first point, process your perpetual behaviours. And I just want to encourage everybody here today with 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1 and 2. You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. So when we feel convicted, that is a good thing. 
And it says that it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. I will, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is atoning He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So if you come to church and feel convicted about something, then that's not like, it's not like, oh, I came to church and I felt so negative. No, no, no. Think of that differently. Realign your perspective. That's actually the Holy Spirit working in you because it's not a salvation issue. It's a freedom issue. And He wants you to live your life free. He doesn't want to live your, you to live your life bound by habits or addictions or things that are actually, as it says, that sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Not only healthy things grow, church, unhealthy things grow as well. And we need to make sure that they're not bringing forth death, but we're sowing into the things that bring life. So I'm going to pray us through a prayer of repentance and then end with a declaration. Because repentance is part of being a Christian. So let's bow our heads this morning and let's pray this from the bottom of our hearts you don't have to I'm just putting that out there for you you don't have to pray this but I encourage you to because repentance is part of the Christian walk Father if you want to repeat after me Father I come to you in the name of Jesus I approach your throne because of Jesus. And I ask that you would forgive my sins. My sins of commission, the things I did, my sins of omission, the things I didn't do that I should have. And I apply the sacrifice to me now. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for paying the price. I trust you. I believe you. I am now clean. I am now free. I am now whole. I am now able to do what you want me to do. I am held back by nothing. My eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. I run this race with perseverance and with strength. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have enabled this. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.